You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Welcome to Nick Luck Daily, the show that brings you the latest news and the sharpest insight from around the world of horse racing. It is Monday, the 7th of March. We are but eight days away from the start of the Cheltenham Festival. We will have plenty of Cheltenham content coming your way on the Nick Luck Daily this week. Do not fear. We turn our attention to matters internationally in in this podcast, reviewing some of the the key action from uh, Dubai at the, the weekend and also some Kentucky Derby trials. But we start with the news that uh, Jockey Waits, uh, the Jockey Waits issue, has hit some sort of a, a resolution with a press release from the BHA today stating that there will be an additional £1 safety allowance that um, jockeys can have. Now, you may remember that initially um, the COVID, £3 COVID allowance was, was to be done away with and that was to be replaced with a rise in the weights of £2. The, the jockeys in particular were particularly unhappy about this and people then sat back around the table and uh, the, the, the views from all sides w- were heard again. This is where we are now. I'll be talking to Rishi Posada about this very shortly. Uh, but uh, first of all, Richard Wayman from the BHA joins me. Richard, if you could just uh, set out the process over the last month or so since everyone sat back down around the table and um, what in that process led us to get here. Yes, yeah, so um, following the original announcement in January um, and, and, the, and the reaction from, from many within the weighing room, uh, we decided to sort of step back and uh, raise, give, give, the, um, give those people, give the jockeys and others from within the weighing room the opportunity to, to highlight concerns to us um, that perhaps hadn't been identified in the original consultation. Um, remembering we had we had a three month consultation um, from sort of October of last year through to the end of the year, and um, we, so during during these last few weeks we've sat down with a with a number of jockeys together with the PJA and the NTF to listen to um, the concerns the additional concerns that they had raised and to consider whether um, any of those concerns had had been missed or had not been brought up as part of that original um, original uh, consultation and it was as a result of that that we then came to the decision that we're announcing today. And the key change here is that there is going to be from from, from what we know currently and what we knew was likely to come into place there's going to be this additional one pound safety allowance. How, how does that additional one pound differ from the, the current £3 equipment slash safety allowance that the jockeys already have? So as things currently stand, um, a horse that is set to carry nine stone in the weights actually carries nine stone sticks. And the reason for that is there's a £3 back protector allowance and there's a £3 COVID allowance. So this affects a total of £6 allowances. Going forward, um, when this when this change comes in, in 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 May, what will happen is that, as we announced in January, 
the weights the weights will generally go up by two pounds and across the board two pound increase in the weights and then the um, safety allowance will become a four pound safety allowance effectively replacing the the three pound back protector allowance and the three pound COVID allowance that was there previously so going back to our horse that kettle was originally set to carry nine stone but actually carries nine stone six that will remain the same in that the horse will now be published to carry nine stone two as a result of the two pound increase in the weights and in addition there'll be a four pound safety allowance that will therefore mean the horse is carrying nine stone six so so nothing has changed on on that front the horse will continue to carry what what it's carried before it's just the information that we will put into the public domain and will be will be more accurate mm. It'll be obviously a two pound higher uh, weights published. It, it'll be yes. The the, the weight carry will, will be closer. I, I guess that from you know one thing that that when we spoke a, about a month or so ago, you were you were keen to hammer home. Really, was that this was about uh, public information and about um, people being able to see what weight is is published in in the race card and the horse carrying that weight or as close to it as possible with that initial three pounds allowance um i suppose you're 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 closer to it given that the 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 six pound is is going to be done away with and it's going to be four pound higher but but it's not exact is it is is there any element of frustration on your part that 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 it can't be exact do you just have to live with that because of because of what the jockeys have come out and said I think um, I think it's fair to say that it's 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 commonplace across most major racing nations that there is a difference between what horses carry and what um, is published in the weights. Generally, for the for, for the back protector, you know, it happens in France, it happens in Ireland, it happens in other major racing nations. So um, so there's so, so that's 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 pretty standard. I think what we will have to make sure that we do is is ensure that the public are better informed that these safety allowances exist because whilst they you know are in the rules of racing you know i should i suspect that the vast majority of racing's followers wouldn't wouldn't quite reasonably be aware necessarily that they exist and i think you know it's something that um, we are giving thought to in terms of how we can ensure that uh, the public are better informed that these that these safety allowances, whether it's three pounds as it was pre-COVID or four pounds as it will be now, um, are in existence. Are or I'll start that again. Were, were saunas ever put back on the table? The option of them, or or or, or is that saunas done for good? Yeah, we we didn't. Um, we didn't anticipate or we don't plan to, to revisit that particular um, element of the of, of the decisions that have been made in recent months. But what the what the riders made very clear to us was that in the absence of saunas, the importance of having this um, of this of these safety allowances is is even more significant. Um, and perhaps that was the, the bit of additional information that came out of this sort of second consultation that, that was missing from the first. In the first consultation, we were talking primarily about the COVID was, allowance was going, we were going to put up weights as, a, as an alternative, and, uh, and, and, and therefore the focus was very much on how much should we put up the weights by, £2, £3, something else. 
what's it became clear talking to the riders um you know recent weeks is that this issue for them was not just about how much the weights went up by which is what we were solely focused on um at the end of last year it was very clear um that for many riders not for all but for many riders um the covid allowance in the absence of saunas had been the the tool that they had been able to use to help manage their sort of natural daily variation in in their weight so if a jockey um turned up at a race meeting and on a particular day was he or she was half a pound heavier or a pound heavier than um they might normally be i suppose going back pre-covid they would have probably gone into the sauna and tried to lose that half a pound obviously that couldn't happen since june 2020 and having that covid allowance basically gave riders the opportunity to sort of manage those natural variations and and it was clear from speaking to riders speaking to valet speaking to others that Having that, um, having an allowance of sorts to manage that sort of variation had had very significant psychological benefits for riders. And having understood that and having seen um, the, the, how that has impacted on the mindset and the, you know, the, the physical, mental well-being of, of, of riders, we came to the view that having this extra pound um, safety allowance, so rising that, increasing the safety allowance from three pounds to four pounds, would just provide riders with that um, uh, tool to help them just manage those natural da- those natural daily variations, and in and in doing so, hopefully retain the sort of psychological benefits that the riders reported that they that they'd had over the last twenty months or so. It seems clear, Richard, that I think you said a couple of times, you know, having spoken to riders, that that in this process in particular, um, you know, since everyone sat back down, it, it's been useful to consult riders directly. Is that something that you think might be used for processes going forward, or or, or is and should the PGA always be the first point of contact? Well, it is. Um... It is, first of all, I would say it's really difficult for the trade bodies sometimes when you're representing literally hundreds of, of, of members, whether, whether you're the PGA, NTF, ROA or anybody, you know, it, 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 it isn't always easy to, to, um, to get all of those views in. But what I would say, Tom, is that from, a, from, from my perspective working at the BHA, to have those direct conversations with, with riders over the last six weeks has been extremely um, beneficial and and inevitably with those sorts of discussions you don't just talk about the specific issue of the day you you bring up you bring up other other, other matters that, that are of interest as well and so in short yeah, the answer is I think those those conversations are very worthwhile and we'll continue to have them but I don't want to say that in any way sort of as a criticism of the PJA or, or other trade bodies, it's just as a governing body um, to make the right decisions. We should be having conversations with people on the ground as well as relying on trade bodies. And and I think that's a that's a lesson that that, that I've learned from from the last few weeks for sure. Well, listening along to that interview, is, uh, Rishi Passad, Rishi, your reaction. Well, I think Tom, it's fair to say from what you've heard from Richard that. 
they have clearly listened to what was said when the original uh, plan was formulated and released to all parties and the reaction wasn't great um, and they've made a significant effort to try and find a suitable compromise to ensure that uh, all parties are as, as satisfied as possible and I and uh, listening to Richard saying, I think the words he used was he thinks this is the best solution for all parties. And I, I think that's that's probably right. Um, just the, the first reaction when I saw that saw the, the plans, uh, jockeys uh, spoke quite a few of the jockeys that I spoke to um, highlighted the fact of having that one extra pound meant quite a lot. It, it, it was that safety mental buffer that meant they probably wouldn't have to go and sweat or sit in their cars etc um and so that's it's great to have that extra one pound safety allowance which uh is to help their physical and mental well-being um and and in reality the three pounds for the weight protector the the two pound increase in the basic weights and that extra one pound really ought to it ought to suffice i guess the the issue is having that mental buffer when you stand on the scales at the moment it's six pounds but with uh, the reality of the new situation in in reality it's it's four uh, so that's that's probably something to adjust to but one of the things that the, the jockeys referred to when i have spoken to them and they said it originally was you know everything was going quite nicely it was all working quite well there wasn't any need for for the change in the first place um and that's something that sits at the back of my mind when i hear how far we've got to and how much ground that we've we've covered to come to this situation Mm. Do, you, do you agree there was no need? Do, do you, you know, do you um, sympathise with those that, that say we need transparency and, and we need weights carried to be as close as possible to weights published? I think that is, uh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself that over the last two years, have I have I felt the need as a as a racing fan, as a punter, uh, as someone who's working the sport, who it was it was a really important issue. Um, it is an important issue. I'm not going to deny that. Um, but it hasn't, hadn't been at the, the top of the agenda. I thought there were more pressing things. Um, but I think long term, it's something to, to, have, to have been addressed and something to, to, to be dealt with. And obviously, it's been addressed and dealt with now. But um, I think ultimately, what you want to create is, is a, a happy working environment for the, the people that compete and who put the show on the road and who who are the, the stars, certainly the, the human stars of the sport. Um, and I just feel that maybe when listening to what the jockeys have had to say about the fact that there wasn't really any issues, they didn't have any issues and they didn't feel that it, things were working so well that there wasn't any need for a change, that perhaps the, the process in which it's been done and delivered um, might be something that they need to look back at and say, could we have done that any better? Right, turning our attention to Super Saturday now from Maidan, Dubai, unsurprisingly on Saturday. Uh, it was a, a great night for, for Dane O'Neill, who rode his first Group 1 winner for Thoroughbreds, he, he, he did want me to point out, um, since uh, Royal Ascot and, and Muhara in the, the Commonwealth Cup back in 2015. Here's Dane. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, yeah, it was, a, listen, it, was a, it was a fantastic feeling and uh, what a stage to do it on, you know. And I, I suppose uh, one of the, the big things after, um, you know, Hakum's success earlier for the, the Shadwell team and then that Group 1 success with al that you rode was, you know, a great shame that Sheikh Hamdan couldn't be there. But given the, the support that you've had of, of him and the team over the years, that must have been big for you. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, the, you know, the, 
you know, sort of a little bit emotional and, and you know, sort of in his in his home country as well. Um, you know, and you know, with his daughter taking over now, Shaky Hissa, um, both her and her brother were there yesterday to, to cheer us on. So yeah, it was um, it was a very memorable day. You know, mm. I saw um, one thing I quite like about that family now is you know I I, I saw her posting something on Instagram about it and tagging you in it and there is you know there's there's a real warm feeling about that and and the sort of you, the sharing across all platforms the family environment that it seems she is wanting to carry on yeah um there's a you know there's a, a real sort of personal feel to the operation as there was when, when her father was there I mean it's a huge operation obviously a little bit smaller now and a, a different sort of uh, a different sort of you know different way of, of, of it is but um no, there's, there's always been great communication with sort of, you know, Angus and, and Richard Hills and, and John Hyde over here and, and everyone sort of, you know, everyone wants to do well and, you know, it's, it's got a great, like I say, a very personal feel for such a big a big outfit. Mm. Um, were you surprised that he, he was able to step up to the to the very top level? I know that you know, there was a notable non-runner in the race, but how did you, or what did you go into the race thinking, Dane? Um... I thought he was a good horse, um, I'll be honest, but if you'd have said to me he'd win a group one, no, I, I didn't think he would. Um, I thought he was he was a likeable horse, he was on the up. Um, I was very impressed with him when he won at Abu Dhabi a few runs back. I thought the way he handled the track and quickened impressed me. Um, he didn't do anything wrong on his next start when I rode him. He had a wide draw and I tried to beat that by, by pushing him forward and I probably used him up and he didn't finish. And of course the next time he finished second when Antonio rode him, and that was that was pretty much from there on. We were thinking, you know, he's, he's quite nice. He's quite likable. This horse, he could be on the up. And mm. um, we didn't miss up the last day. Of course, we we came out the back of the stalls instead of coming out the front. Um, and then uh, yesterday, he put himself boldly on the map as, as being a, a decent horse. You know, I, I know that um, you know there, there might be some that that look and and think that Lord Glitters, you know, yeah, he didn't get the the run that he normally wants, but. All you could do was have your horse in exactly the right right place, and he finished it off well. Yeah, yeah. As I said, it listen, it, it wasn't run to suit to suit um, you know, to favour. But um, you know, I, th- I don't think you can take away you can take that away from my horse because he didn't have he didn't have pick up in the straight. You know, Andrea, I'd seen in front of me, he wasn't stopping, and when he kicked, um, I got to sort of a length of him, and then all of a sudden, I was wondering if we would actually peg him back, but. My horse quick in the second time, you know, um, and put it to bed then, and he won going away. It was a good night for Shadwell, wasn't it? And that was, I think we've seen a lot of, you know, Godolphin Blue dominance over the, the Carnival and previous Super Saturdays. It just felt like last night belonged to Shadwell, which was which was fitting. Yeah, it did. I mean, listen, it, it was a great way to start the day, the day for the team, you know, Hookham coming over. It was a, you know, it was a bold move to bring him over, um, and, a, and a great decision really to, to give him this pepper before World Cup night and um, a little bit of pressure and you know I think we we're all trying to play it down and say you know this this is a prep race I mean obviously we wanted him to win but if he didn't it wasn't the end of the world but I think we were all hoping that he kind of had to win you know if that makes sense um, and he did and, and done it well and you know obviously goes for the big night now and that's great but then um, you know the night war, I, I thought the night was starting to drag on a little bit after that and the back it was a bit luckless with a, with a wide with a wide run round and sort of chin laid on um, and I wasn't sure it was really going to go our way but it was a nice end to it certainly you know mm. How much of all the Dubai seasons you've had how much have you enjoyed this one or has this one felt in any way different Dane? Um, yeah it felt very different um, it's, 
started off a little bit slow, um, and of course with me sort of being here um, as sort of sole rider for them really, um, I wouldn't say there was an extra pressure, but I, ju I just really wanted it to work, and I, and I really wanted it to work for you know Shadwell and Sheikh Ahissa, um, you just wanted everything to sort of happen, and um, it didn't look like it was going to really go that way for a while, and Instead of the walk, the horses to run better, and then they hit a vein of form, and you know, they've been consistent throughout the season, um, and there was, there was quite a few times as well, I, I chose the wrong one, but you know, then the other ones were winning when I, when I was sort of missing out on them, and you know, it was just good, the whole sort of operation went from strength to strength over here, and uh, yeah, it, it's, you know, it'd be great, especially for Sheikha Hissa, taking over now, it'd be great for her if we could roll on into the English season and, and have a good, good campaign there as well. Yeah, I suppose most of the time that I've known you out there, it, it, you've been on on the other end, perhaps of, of on the big nights anyway, of, of others making the right or wrong decision. But it feels like the ball's been in your court this 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 year, and you know, in, in some ways, you were re rewarded with that because you know you rode Mubaka, and, and it wasn't like Jim came over and took that ride, if you like. It, it seemed as though you know they they were still your rides. Yeah, yeah, that that was the case, and, and I have to thank uh, Shaky Hisser for that. Um, she did say that when when Jim came off for Hookham, that um, you know she she said that I I should stay on the uh, on the horses that I've been sort of riding and and one on over here, and I would remain sort of you know first first choice over here on the horses that that I've been a part of, um, which again I have to thank her. It was a was a very nice gesture, you know. Uh, Richard, there's, there's no doubt that um, that Dane was a, a hugely popular winner in the weighing room and, and with that crowd as well, given the time he spent in Dubai. Yeah, Dana Neal's part of the fabric of racing in Dubai. Uh, and of course, he's been associated with the late Sheikh Hamdan for so long, Shadwell Stable and Sheikh Ahissa. Uh, and he obviously had great success for them before, but it's a long time since uh, Muharrah won the Commonwealth Cup. So it was great to get him uh, another Group 1 winner. Um, and, and with a horse that had done him a disservice here in the season and put him on the ground when behaving uh, badly before uh, one of the, the good races earlier at the carnival. Uh, but he is just, he's always been uh, a really likable individual, you know, working with him in, in the media as we do. Uh, he's always willing to chat, help, polite. Um, but apart from that, as a rider, he's, he's always been one of those riders that you feel you can count on. And he's always been one of those riders that you feel doesn't do a lot wrong. He's always in the right place at the right time, etc. And here he is enjoying enjoying a fabulous season as as the main man in in Dubai for the Shadwell Stable. And he he seems to have thrived on it. It it really does feel like his riding has just gone up a notch this season. And I thought he gave that horse an excellent ride, considering the circumstances of the race where they didn't go much of a pace and Alfarik was in the right place to strike. And he he had to cajole him a little bit. It wasn't the most straightforward of successes uh, because he's as I previously referred to, he's not the most straightforward individual. Um, but that's that's the skill of a, of a talented rider like Dan O'Neill coming to the fore. And there'll be plenty looking at that Group 1 and, and thinking that wouldn't be the strongest of, of Group 1s. And that is something that has been um, argued at the Jebel Hatter in, in the past. Well, it has seen some some very good winners. And without wishing to lead you as a witness, Rich, what... How super was Super Saturday? Because I feel on paper, going into it, it looked pretty darn good. Did it live up to expectations? I'd say there were some individual performances that exceeded expectations, if anything. Um, but overall, as a quality international card, there were holes in some of the races. 
I, I can't, uh, as, a, as a fan of the sport, I can't deny that. Um, and I'd say the Jebel Hatta would be one of those races that you'd look back on and think, well, Al Farik has won, well done to Connections, but how significant is that going to be even for World Cup night and the Dubai turf? I can't see anything in that race having a significant hand to play in the big race. I could see Al Farik running it and running well, but he's not a good, as good a horse as Real World who thumped him at Maidan earlier in the season and you know, Real World will probably, if he does line up in that race, he will have a significant challenge from uh, elsewhere um, and there were one or two other races, obviously the Al Maktoum challenge third round, you're kind of hoping you're going to unearth a Dubai World Cup horse uh, hypothetical one he ran okay, he ran good fourth in the race last year but it's going to be a better Dubai World Cup this year with the likes of Life is Good, Hot Rod Charlie and uh, and others. Um, so I can't see that being a significant bearing on the World Cup itself. One race that stood out for me, though, in terms of the quality of the performance and one that will go, I think, beyond World Cup night and into the European and international season as Man of Promise, that was a stunning performance by a horse who was always promised to be very, very good. Um, but he's, he's had his issues. Charlie Appleby has been pretty open saying that they've had to find the key to his mental approach to, to the sport because he's, he's not the most straightforward, not the most confident, bit of a warrior, can be a bit moody, but they feel they've got, they've got the key to him now. And I know people are talking about the gaps between races and being fresh. I don't think that's as important as him just being in the right space mentally. And he was in the right space mentally. And you can see uh, when he is just how good he is. And that was a, a super performance um, by a, a really talented sprinter. And I know Creative Force, a group one winner, champion sprint winner, is heading over for the Alcoz. Well, if I were, if I were William Buick, I'm pretty certain I'd ride Man, Man of Promise because if he turns up in the same sort of form as he did on Super Saturday, uh, there'll be very few sprinters on turf over six furlongs that can live with him. Oh, I think that's in, I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a harder choice um, than that, perhaps. But yes, I off the back of that performance, it would be very difficult to get off Man of Promise. But Appleby mm. hold, holds all the cards in that race, doesn't he? It would seem <laughs> at the moment. Um, yeah. it, Man of Promise is a, a son of Inter Mischief. Um, we mentioned it was a, a good night for Shadwell. It's also a good night for the Dali Stallions as well. And unsurprisingly, Dabawi was to the fore, had a, a treble with um, Eastern World, both in, in Dubai and uh, Desert Wisdom, winning Group 3s, and also in Italian, one at Gulfstream. And talking of Gulfstream, we can turn our attention to the United States now. There were some key Kentucky Derby trials this weekend. NBC's Matt Bernier is along to discuss them. Uh, Matt, first of all, what was the pick of the trials for you? Well, most people are going to look at the two races from Santa Anita and Gulfstream, but to be fair, there was a third derby prep run in New York. The reason that one may not be necessarily a harbinger of things to come, it was run around a one-turn mile as opposed to two turns on dirt, which obviously the Kentucky Derby will, that's the configuration of that race. Uh, of the two two-turn races from Gulfstream and Santa Anita, uh, in my opinion, it's kind of a no contest. Forbidden Kingdom was the star of the afternoon from coast to coast. He was fantastic winning the San Felipe. He's a horse that he's trained by Richard Mandela, who is one of the, the greats that we've had in the United States over the past 40 or 50 years. And he's the kind of horse that, to be honest, coming into this race, I had concerns about his ability to relax. He's a very fast horse, naturally very gifted. He's the son of American Pharaoh, who won the Triple Crown back in 2015. But it just doesn't seem like he has the switch to sort of rate and relax when he's out there on the lead. He seems like a bit of a runoff. 
to be fair, he didn't really do that on Saturday. He didn't run off, but he ran extremely fast throughout set fractions that were faster than what we saw from some of the older horses on the same card at Santa Anita and won by almost six lengths. He earned very fast speed figures that put him among the best as far as this three-year-old crop is concerned. The interesting thing going forward, assuming he goes to the Santa Anita Derby for his final race prior to the Kentucky Derby, well, what happens if someone else is fast enough to head him? Will he be able to sit off of a target and still be as effective as he is when he's the one cutting out the fractions? There's a chance that maybe no one is fast enough to run with him early, but that's my only hang-up at this point with this horse because otherwise, visually, he was fantastic yesterday. And he gave a, a further boost to that uh, Pinehurst form as well. Pinehurst, who is currently out in the... In the UAE at Maidan, he's going to line up in the UAE Derby. Um, so he may go on to the, the Santa Anita Derby and then on to Kentucky. He can do it at Santa Anita. Would you be sure he can do it elsewhere, Matt? Well, again, I think a lot of it for this horse at this point in his career is more dynamics. What happens if someone else is really intent on making the front? Presumably, Messier, who is Bob Baffert's best three-year-old at this point, is pointing toward the Santa Anita Derby as well. He's a horse that has some legitimate early speed, and that would be a fascinating duel between these two to see which one is faster, and if they both go, can they withstand sort of the duel that they throw at one another and, and perhaps hold off anybody trying to come from the back of the pack. And the reason the Santa Anita race specifically from Saturday is the one sort of to talk about is purely because when you take a look at what happened in South Florida at Gulf Street Park, unfortunately there was a spill at the top of the lane. All horses and riders seemed to be okay. But the horses in South Florida this year have just sort of, I don't know, taken turns beating one another or visually they don't look particularly strong. There have been some pretty large discrepancies with some of the major speed figure makers here in the United States about how fast these horses actually are. Um, and there's really sort of a unanimous feeling that Southern California, the horses that are at the top of the list, they're the goods. They're genuinely the fast of the fast, as opposed to perhaps a jurisdiction like Florida, where some people love some of the horses, especially Simplification, who won yesterday's Fountain of Youth. Some folks look at it and say there, there's quite a bit more there to, to prove to really assert yourself as a true contender for the Kentucky Derby. Just finally, only because Rishi and I have, have talked about Super Saturday in, uh, at Maidan and, you know, we're, we're looking forward to seeing a lot of the Americans come over for the Dubai World Cup. Whew, that could be a good race. And that really is made up of a lot of very good Americans, Matt. Yeah, certainly. You know, Hot Rod Charlie is already over there. He's already had a run over the strip at Maidan. Looked very impressive winning. Uh, Life is Good is going to be his, his major sort of foe in that spot and that's not to you know throw any shade at a horse like country grammar who ran so admirably off a lengthy layoff in the saudi cup but it feels like those top two hot rod charlie and life is good they could really they've got very similar running styles they both like to be forwardly placed you know the distance isn't an issue for hot rod charlie the question for life is good at this point similar to what we were just chatting about with forbidden kingdom he's run extremely fast early on and it looks like the distance won't be an issue but to date the farthest he's ever run is nine furlongs. So the Dubai World Cup will be his first try at 10. Uh, that'll be a little bit of an unknown when you hit that final two furlongs to see if he can actually get the job done. But all things considered, I think it's going to be a fantastic race. And, and you know, we, we mentioned country grammar. Don't, don't sleep on him. I think he's going to take a step forward. And he is the kind of horse that he doesn't have to be up there pushing the pace early on. He could perhaps sit in just behind 
hot rod Charlie and life is good and make that run rounding the far turn. I think it's a great group of horses that are going to be over there and it should be a great race. Matt Bonilla, heart country grammar. Don't forget it. Don't, <laughs> don't forget it. Matt, great stuff. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Rich, staying in the States, really sad news emerging mm. overnight that there was a, a fire at Wesley Ward stable and it caused the death of three horses, in, including one of his, I think, openly all-time favourites, um, Royal Ascot winner Strike the Tiger. Really sad news. Oh, awful, awful news. Uh, a barn fire caused by electrical storms at Wesley Ward stable in, in Kentucky. Uh, and awful news that three horses died, including his first Royal Ascot winner, Strike the Tiger, um, who, since his Royal Ascot victory, has made various trips back to Royal Ascot to accompany uh, Wesley Ward's challenges over the last few years. And anyone who's been working at Royal Ascot over the last few years would have uh, seen uh, Strike the Tiger on the race course, helping the youngsters and, uh, and other Wesley Ward contenders get themselves straight for uh, a crack at, at Royal Ascot. And it, it's just, you know, one of those things that you wake up, you see the news and you just feel horrified about it. Um, so it is something that, uh, you know, uh, you just send your, your deepest condolences to Wesley Ward and his team uh, for what has happened. Yeah, seriously, deepest condolences to, to Wesley Ward. It's one of those completely unexpected things and, and most awful things to happen as well. And um, we wish him and his team all the very best. Uh, we have managed to, to get through the bulk of this podcast, Rishi. We're into the last section and we haven't said the C word yet, but Cheltenham is not far <laughs> away. And no, it's not. <laughs> a reminder that for a limited... You were worried then, weren't you? For a limited time only... <laughs> You can subscribe to Racing Post Members Club and uh, pay just £9.99 for your first month. That's £9.99 to unlock the Racing Post digital newspaper worth over £100 per month, plus award-winning online content. There's unlimited replays from all UK and Irish racecourses, advice from tipsters like Tom Segal, Paul Keeley, and plenty more for the full terms. And, and to take advantage of this introductory offer, head to racingpost.com forward slash Nick Luck Daily. And you can get that, of course, in time for the Cheltenham Festival, all that content. Rishi, uh, I wanted to ask you with regards to Cheltenham, one, well, one anything really, one horse, one <laughs> topic, one individual that, that, that is playing on your mind ahead of the Cheltenham Festival. What is it, Rish? Well, there's, there's a lot playing on my mind ahead of the Cheltenham Festival because there are a number of horses uh, that I cannot wait to see in action. But my, my issue with uh, one, one particular division uh, is the uncertainty of, of where they're going to go. Um, and you see people still harping on about the prospect of a five-day Cheltenham Festival. And I do understand why owners and trainers would want more opportunity to win prize money, to win a big day at Cheltenham Festival. But as a fan of the sport, I cannot see any excitement for having the big horses split themselves up with opportunities. So, for example, I'm very excited by the staying novice chasers this season. We've got a wonderful selection of horses, whether it's uh, uh, Bob Ollinger, Gallop under Champ, uh, Long Presse, Brave Man's Game and Ahoy Senor. Those five horses are very, very exciting. In a normal year, sort of, you know, back before the, the Turners or the Juice and all the, 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 the Marsh as it was uh, way back when, in the years before that, those horses would be lining up in the Sun Alliance or the RSA. But now they have the option of the Turners. We're sitting here with a week to go before the start of the festival and we don't know whether, well, four of those are engaged in two races. Bob Ollinger, Gallop Under Pichamp, uh, Long Presse, <clears throat> Brave Man's Game 
could go in either the Turners or the Brown Advisory. Uh, Holy Senor's, I think, just going to run in the uh, Brown Advisory. Um, but as a fan of the sport, I would love to have been going to Charlton knowing that those five horses were going to clash in one race because there were no other options for them. And less is more, in my opinion. Uh, and L'Empresse is the horse that I'm most interested of, of all that. Or, or that quintet. Um, I, I think he's a super racehorse and I cannot wait to see him. But at the moment, I don't know what race he's going to run in because he's got the Turners and the Brand Advisory. Venetia Williams is saying she's waiting on the ground as well. So as a fan, the uncertainty <laughs> is, is wrecking my mind uh, with regards to this. I know it's not the mo most important thing going on in the world, but with regards to Cheltenham, I just wish we would understand that less, I feel, I feel as a fan, less is more. Don't give them all these opportunities to run in other races. We want to see them clash against each other. The biggest story of the season, one of the biggest stories of the season so far has been the fact that Energumen and Shishkin clashed. They clashed. Two top-class horses clashed. We want them to clash. And if we take away the options of where they can go, we will force them to clash. Uh, so that's, that's the thing that's sort of been my bugbear leading up to this year's, um, to this year's festival. So I'm hoping that at least four of the five will line up in one race. Uh, ideally, I'd love to see all five of them run against each other. But hey, I'm dreaming. You are. I mean, if anything, um, well, options aren't going to be taken away. They, they might be added to. You yes. Nicky Henderson's comments. I suppose, well, I think without a doubt, the, the most prominent UK trainer to to advocate for a fifth day at the Cheltenham Festival? Yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised of, of any trainer wanting more opportunities. They're trying to do their best for... We have to remember that anyone training a racehorse is primarily running a business or, you know, running a business is, is a big part of what they do. So trying to turn a profit, give opportunities to owners, it makes sense to have more opportunities, opportunities to succeed. Um, and, I, and I can't see why owners wouldn't, a lot of owners wouldn't want a fifth day. I can see that. Some, some obviously won't. And I can't see why some people from a commercial sense will want a fifth day. But I'm a racing fan. And I, I, I think that one of the greatest things about the sport is when the best take on the best. It, it's the best thing about any sport. You know, the, the fact that you get, you get the best of what they do competing against each other, that sells whatever sport it is better than anything else and it it certainly makes it a lot easier and a lot more genuine for and I'll, i'm being honest here tom it certainly makes it a lot more easier for us in the media to sell sell something with our hearts that we truly believe in um than when we have to sort of slightly shoehorn in our enthusiasm for when we know that things haven't quite panned out ideally to to promote you know as i said if those five horses all lined up in one race your face will tell the story of how excited you'd be about watching those horses run against each other rather than having to force yourself to say, well, you know, Bob Ollinger against Gallatin and Chant, that'll be a good race, but how, and then we have another race with L'Empresse, Brave Man's Game and Ahoy Senor in another race. So wouldn't it be much better if they all ran in one race against each other? It would be blockbuster stuff. Rishi, send us away with a winner, if you don't mind. I will do my best, but I think it's going to be hard. Oh. It's a tough day. I, I haven't got a very strong view, but in the first race at Southern, there's a horse that I've backed a couple of times before, and I'm going to back him again, just because I think that if he jumped a little bit better, he would beat, beat everybody in this race. It's uh, Sam Barton, the first race at Southern today. He was a pretty smart novice hurdler. Um, so far, his jumping has not been as clean and as clinical as you'd want, um, but his, his handicap mark is 
it's, it's in a really good spot. If only he would tidy up the jumping a little bit. He was with Emma Lavelle. The likelihood is he's, he's had a month off now. I'm sure they've worked on him getting a little bit better and I'm hoping that it pays off on the race course. And if he is, then any better. He, he's a decent price. I think he's around five to one. So Sam Barton in the opening race at Subtle. Jump better, please. Rishi, thank you very much indeed. Nick will return tomorrow. Uh, plenty of Cheltenham content coming your way this week with the Cheltenham Festival just around the corner. Uh, please do subscribe. It does make it easier for you to listen each and every day. We'll chat to you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily. Brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.